Thank you for tuning in to the Free Retiree Show, where we help you transform your life so you can become financially free. In this show, we'll give you the inside track on how to excel in your career, filter out the noise surrounding your finances to help you make smart financial decisions, and we'll learn from thought and business leaders who can help you live your best life. Welcome into the show, coming to you from the heart of the Silicon Valley, which over the past week has turned into Amish country. I'm here with career advisor, Sergio Patterson. What's up? And attorney, Matt McElroy. What's up? How's it going? Everything's going great. All right, guys. So I got a question for you. Who is a bigger failure right now? The Los Angeles Dodgers or PG&E? Go Giants. PG&E, man. No doubt. (laughs) God, they had me like searching the house for batteries and candles. And my kids were saying, oh, the lights are all going to go off. Yeah, no, I think I, I think that's exactly what the biggest takeaway for me was for this whole blackout situation is how unprepared we were. Yeah, so we'll be going into that. So first, we'll give you guys a rundown of today's episode. First, we'll start off by uh, giving you guys a market rundown. We'll let you know what's going on in the market. And today's discussion topic is how couples need to manage finances. So I don't know if you guys have heard, but the number one reason for divorce, finances. This is a dangerous topic, my friend. I know. We will have to tread lightly, very lightly. Yeah, speak carefully. (laughs) (laughs) But today we're going to be talking about the major pitfalls that people run into, give you some helpful advice how to get you on track. And then to close, we'll be talking with our attorney, Matt McElroy. He's going to be talking about co-owning property with someone you're not married to. What you need to know, is it a good idea? Is it a bad idea? He'll tell us in the story of Harry and Sally. Uh, but to start off, let's start about let's start talking about the PG&E apocalypse. So, as you guys know, uh, PG&E over the past week they turned off power about a week ago, and it caused some headlines. And uh, I just want to hear from you guys. How were you guys impacted by this? Well, I, I live kind of in San Martin Gilroy border, and it, it didn't reach out to me. Uh, coincidentally, our power actually got shut off, uh, I think, on Monday, but it wasn't part of the outages. It Did you forget to pay a, a bill or thing. something? <laughs> yeah, it was just a random outage in the area. <laughs> Had nothing to do with the blackouts. But, um, yeah, it was, you know, we just figured out, like, man, we're unprepared for this kind of situation. We didn't have anything ready. And, we're, you know, you go to the store and a bunch of stuff's already bought out. And, you know, you should have something ready and, like, kind of like some protocol and, and set to go for these kind of situations. Mm-hmm. Oh, you search. How are you? Yeah, luckily, uh, luckily, Kimberly's kind of like she's got the backpack ready with all of our documents and paperwork. Oh, she's kind of that weirdo, like <laughs> you know, like that. So, like, we luckily had flashlights. I couldn't find batteries. It, it's just like it was unnecessary stress. Yeah, like I was like, ah, oh, is, is the power gonna go out while I'm taking a shower? Like, am I gonna be able to work? Is what? Because everything is like, you realize how dependent you are on power on Wi-Fi. Like, I was like, oh, I can't work from home tomorrow. The power goes out. You're just so dependent, man. It's crazy. Yeah. Yeah, same with me. I work at home. So if I lose power, I lose Wi-Fi, I lose everything. Mm. So for you guys that don't know, uh, PG&E has had quite the rap sheet over the last decade or so. And uh, I'll give you guys a quick rundown of some of the headlines that they've caused over the last decade. So in 2010, there was a pipeline explosion. I believe it was in San Bruno. And it leveled a neighborhood, killed eight people. Uh, state fire investigators have blamed PG&E for 18 wildfires that swept through Northern California in October 2017. And uh, utility company has acknowledged blame for the campfire in Butte County, which destroyed over 19,000 structures due to faulty transmission lines and killed over 85 people. And then a week ago, they uh, cut off power that impacted about 2 million Californians. So at this point, ISIS and PGE are like <laughs> bidding for the most hated organization on the planet. Dude, I don't get it, man. There and there's no other options. It's PGE or solar, right? Like that's it. Yeah, yeah. The people that got solar are sitting pretty right now. I want to give a little bit about the rationale behind why they're doing because everyone's upset and they're wondering like who's to blame? You know, is PG at fault? Are they not at fault? So there's three major contributors to wildfires. Fuel, 
is the dry grass, the dried trees, the debris. Um, there's winds that you know make the fire go all over the place, and then there's always an ignition source. And a lot of cases over the last couple of years, it was the PG&E power lines. So they figured out that they can't control the winds or the fuel, but they can control the ignition source. So that's their whole rationale of why they're turning off the power. They figure if they do that, it's going to prevent wildfires. So how were people impacted? Um, there was a lot of traffic accidents that happened because they turned off power to intersections. Uh, I heard of stories of people up in the North Bay, like full Safeways shutting down. Well, what, what about all the people that rely on electronic medical devices? Yeah. You know, I mean, that's huge right there. And, you know, I mean, luckily hospitals usually have generators and whatnot. But what if you're at home and you, that's what you're relying on? There's got to be a better way than just flexing on the community and turning <laughs> off everyone's power. Well, you, you know what's funny? <laughs> or not funny, but, it, you know, I read an article that was, was talking about the situation. You know, they're, they're like kind of couching it in like terms of like, hey, this is for safety of everybody. But I also heard that the decision is partly based in being preemptive against lawsuits because these lawsuits are, are devastating. Yeah, they're huge. And especially if they're because of, you know, faulty, you know, ignitions or whatever. And, um, you know, I think a lot of their hardware and stuff is older and does need to be replaced. And so, like, you know, it's also not only a sa- I mean, it's definitely par- partially a safety move, but I think it's yeah. also preemptive, too. Exactly. So businesses, uh, they were definitely impacted. And I'm going to go and ask Sergio, you know, how the tech companies he heard were impacted by this event or, uh, you know, other local small companies. Uh, but schools were closed down. Obviously, they had issues with uh, people that were reliant on energy for their health devices. Actually, one gentleman, I think, heard passed away moments after they turned off the power. They're not saying yet that it was pg es fault, but I'm sure it's something that will be an ongoing investigation. Uh, and a Stanford economist, uh, Michael Wera, estimates that turning off the power could have cost as much as $2.6 billion. So definitely an economic uh, impact from this whole last week of what they did. So, uh, Serge, do you think tech workers were impacted? You know, people, you say, you know, you work at home. Like, would, would Yeah. So, I mean, I luckily for me, the power didn't go out in Gilroy. But to your point, I think the a large majority of, you know, tech workers work from home at least once a, once a week. And we're very dependent on Wi-Fi. Without Wi-Fi, we can't do anything. Our laptops die. We, we can't connect to meetings. So I think the potential for impact is very strong. Mm-hmm. Uh, so the the impact that PG, <laughs> that's why I'm saying like PG PG&E can't just like shut power off for more than a couple hours. They can't do this like three four day thing. And I think you know for some parts of Santa, uh, Santa Clara County, it was it was a multiple day thing, right? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Especially yeah, over the span of a week, two or three days straight. Yeah, it's yeah. just not. It's not okay. I heard actually. I think it was Berkeley got hit pretty bad, or UC Berkeley, or something like that. They were actually like multiple days. So one thing that I wanted to address today. So over the weekend, guys, I was down in San Luis Obispo at a cousin's wedding, and uh, I was sitting next to a gentleman. He was actually, you know, the table behind me. But I overheard him talking about PG&E. He was saying like, oh, you know, it's all these dang trees. There's so many trees in California. There's nothing you can do about all these trees. It's just something you can't do anything about. And I would just want to address that this is definitely the narrative that PG&E would like you to believe, that there's a bunch of trees and there's nothing that they can do. But I want to say that that is such a stupid thought to just say that, you know, oh, there's just too many trees. There's nothing that they can do because – I'll have you guys remember that this company has been convicted of six federal felonies and they're currently on probation from the San Bruno fires. And then you got all these other things adding up to this is not an innocent company that, uh, you know, they just have this terrible burden. Like they've been convicted in a court of law of being negligent. So if you look at this, you say like, what if they put an extra hundred million dollars towards cutting down debris, uh, revamping their equipment. Do you think that would have made a difference? Yeah, I do. Yeah, I think the equipment is probably the the biggest thing there. And I'm assuming it's a billion-dollar company, right? Yes. So $100 is the drop in the bucket. Yeah. So 
this is according to San Francisco judge, Judge William Alsup. He said that PG&E paid out $4.5 billion to shareholders and dividends and let trees wither up. So for people that want to be blinded by what PG&E is, just think about that. As you're telling me there's so many trees, you're telling me $4.5 billion couldn't have cleared out some brush? That's it's absolutely ludicrous. So that's one of my uh, soapbox, soapbox things today. I want people to understand that this is not some innocent company that just has the burden of cutting down so many trees. They care about one thing. They care about their profits, their shareholders, and Californians, they, you, they, don't, they don't really care that much about them. They probably do now because of all the liability, but let's stop this rhetoric of that they're just some innocent company that has too many trees to cut down. What do you guys think? Yeah, 100% agree, man. I mean, they've been taking money from me monthly for as long as I've been an adult. So screw those guys. Yeah. <laughs> so another thing that you might have heard in the news, uh, because of all the liability, they have uh, decided to uh, declare a bankruptcy. And they did that back in January. And I know a lot of people are thinking like, oh, what does this mean? Does that mean PG&E is going to go out of business? I'm going to be without power. Uh, you know, what's the implications of this whole bankruptcy? And uh, Matt, you have a little bit of insight into why people do bankruptcies. Can you give us a little bit of uh, insight to what's going on? Yeah, ban- bankruptcy is not really my area, but we've we've had to go into the bankruptcy court for a couple cases and represent a couple different clients as uh, creditors and um, actually one, one client in particular. But um, the Chapter 11 is kind of cool in the fact that the it's called a debtor in possession. And so that means that PG&E gets to stay and kind of still run the show. The company still goes on. It still operates. But what happens is that all its creditors and everything kind of get in line in, in terms of like seniority and whatnot. And um, they kind of they come up with a plan, basically. And, uh, you know, that's, that's just a restructuring of everything. And they come up with some plan to figure out the debt. So the company can survive, basically. So we shouldn't worry about them just disappearing and us all being without power. No, no. I mean, I I think a good example of Chapter 11 bankruptcies, I mean, maybe they've done other ones, too. But, you know, the airlines. God, how many times have you, you know, they Uh, all still exist. You know, I mean, they've done it multiple times. So, I mean, it's just, you know, and and there's a lot of companies that have done it. Didn't didn't GM do it at one point? And uh, I think probably Ford and Chevy back in, you know, 2008 area or whatever. So, I mean, like, there's there's a lot of companies that have to eventually go through it, and, you know, it will continue, and it will go on. Yeah, and I think, actually, PG&E took a bankruptcy, Chapter 11, back in 2001. I think that was from uh, contracts that were more lucrative than they could pay out, um, but they got through that. Um, so, for their reorganization plan, from what I've heard, it's about $20.4 billion. And what they wanted was twelve billion to go to insurance claim holders, public entities, and eight point four to go to the wildfire victims. Wow! And the party that's opposed to that, uh, they wanted twenty nine point two billion in a, f- a fund, and fourteen point five billion to go to victims. And I think, as of last week, the judge on this case ruled that the other party would have a say in the debt restructuring. So that's a big blow to PG and E. Big win for the wildfire victims, but trust me, in this whole situation, there are no winners. I know, uh, you know, first thing I thought about was like, yes, the victims get paid. That's what's important. And then I realized after that, oh, that means I lose because I'm going to be paying more. So there is no winner in this whole situation. We're all going to be paying more, but yes, at least the victims will get what they should get. Well, and and not only that, like if they're going to go to litigation to get paid, I mean, it's going to be years followed by possible appeals and i mean like i've, I've seen some things like I, I watched this court of appeals argument the other day that they it was 2015 and they were arguing a a, a, a breach of contract that happened in 1991 and it had been wow. tied up in the courts that long that's crazy right so this thing will just linger it, like, it's possible it, it just, you know yeah. it, it just depends you know what what happens during the case but yeah it, it definitely has the yeah, ability the, to do that you know living in california with all these fires like i always I kind of knew that Petri, but now that we were doing this research, it's like dozens of fires in 2017 alone they were responsible for. Yeah, 17. <laughs> it's crazy. It's crazy. Like, yeah, and they and they're, the thing is, happened? like, we all people want to feel bad for them, but look at how much they paid out to the shareholders. I think 
there's a lot of things you can look at in this case, but if you're paying 4.5 was a billion out to the shareholders, I mean, you're doing something wrong if people are dying. Like, that's just, the proof's right there. Like, you have all these people that have died on your watch, lost their homes. Uh, I don't think that you can just wash your hands of all that and just say, like, oh, it's due to all the trees. When not when you're putting that much money out there. Because their thing is they want to make a profit, and that's what they're doing. Um, but I will say this. So for you guys that were impacted by this in Northern California, I think this is unfortunately going to be a new sort of normal for us because cutting off the power during those sort of situations from the research I did appears to be the right decision. Now, what pg and could have done is they could be more proactive in terms of uh, upgrading their equipment, obviously, doing their tree trimming like they should. But this is something that I think is going to happen from now on. And I think San Diego, if you guys remember, they had some fires back about a, over a decade ago. And they changed their policies and they started cutting off power. And that's why you haven't heard as much wildfire stuff happening down there. So this is going to be our new normal, unfortunately. But if it saves lives, it's probably worth it, right? It's, it's just not sustainable, though. It's, not, it's a Band-Aid. They're putting a Band-Aid on a problem that they need to solve to help like the future yeah right? like they, they need to i don't know i think they need to start thinking longer term but i get it i get shutting off the power limits their risk mm-hmm. but if they upgrade equipment yeah. obviously that helps too but they haven't been doing that yeah right that's what people aren't seeing like they have neglected those responsibilities and it's cost people lives cost families um but one thing we can learn from this situation is that you know Things like this happen over this past week, you know, business owners lost thousands of dollars in terms of lost business. Uh, so one little uh, thing I want to bring up today, uh, business interruption insurance or business income insurance. That's something that business owners need to look at. So it covers business income or loss when business operations are suspended due to a physical loss of property on your premises. So, if people had that and were shut down for an extended period of time, that's something they could help sustain or fulfill the income that they lost during this time. So that's something that maybe everyone should look at. If you're a business owner, it can replace profits, uh, fixed costs. So if people have rent that they have to pay or technology costs, or maybe you have to move to a temporary location, um, all things that are covered with it. Yeah, no, I totally agree. I was actually, it's funny you bring that up because I was negotiating a lease last week and part that came up in the discussions and it's so, so important. And going forward, we're definitely recommending it to every, you know, client we have that we review a lease with you. I mean, it's just, it's 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 necessary. You have to, because you don't know what's going to happen. And and again, it's like, how many days are they going to be out of business? It's, and does it just cover the normal cost of, or the normal, like, revenue you would have generated yeah so they're gonna look at your financials over the previous months and they'll be like all right that's what that company was making pretty consistently and now their cash flow isn't there so we're gonna make them whole in that regard that's awesome also it comes with extra expense that's one thing you can put on there and that's going to cover the expenses that you need to have to continue running the business so in this situation people paid for generators for tens of thousands of dollars that would be covered under the extra expense uh, portion of the policy. So that's another thing to consider when you're looking at this. Like as our attorney said, it's very important for businesses to look at this, but make sure you get the right type of policy, talk to your insurance provider, uh, protect your business and protect your employees, all that. Uh, super important. Yeah, having the right insurance is such an important thing. And I think every business should go and, and talk to some kind of insurance broker and you know, get an evaluation and just get advised on what, what they should have. Yeah. And our, you know, in our society, we're all focused on how can we make money? Right. But like Matt and I know, and Matt knows more, more about this than I do. You have to be able to protect yourself. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Because yeah, protecting yourself is the main thing. Yeah. Yeah. Because people don't think about that. They always think, well, how can I make more? How can I make more? But you know, Matt's seen the devastating effects of people that weren't protecting themselves. Right. Oh yeah. I mean, yeah. Litigation can ruin your life. yeah it's horrible all right so we're gonna go to the break but when we'll when we're back we'll give you a market overview you're listening to the free retiree show 
welcome back into the show. This portion, we're going to be talking about the market overview. So over the past couple of weeks, things have actually been pretty solid. And you've seen a good uptick over the last week. And that's largely due to the Brexit and the trade talks with China. Those have apparently gone pretty well. So the markets are showing the love right now. Housing starts, industrial production, and manufacturing for September is expected to be down. Uh, markets are currently pricing in an October rate cut. And then we're expected to have a pause in rate cuts till 2020. Uh, for U.S. investors right now, there's slowing growth, lowering of interest rates, and low earnings growth. And that's going to probably weigh down on the potential for U.S. stocks, at least in the near future. Uh, with Brexit, though, and the trade war seeming to get some progress, uh, there is some value in looking at European stocks and potentially emerging markets. So those are things that investors need to keep an eye out for because those do look like they could be an attractive entry point. But that's pretty much what we got going on in the market. So we're going to take a short break, and we'll be when we're back, we'll be talking about how couples need to manage their finances. You'll get to hear a little bit from all of us, and hopefully our wives let us back in the house tonight. Stay tuned. Welcome back into the show. We're talking how couples need to treat their finances. So studies show that couples that don't have finances in order have a 30% higher chance of getting divorced. And as we talked about the beginning of the show, the number one reason for divorce is finances. So pretty dang important. Yeah, wow. And today we got three, I guess, say team husband. Here in, here in the studio, we probably should have got a wife in here to give her a take, but it's going to be one-sided. Men are always right. Wait, also, one <laughs> thing to call out, our our host is getting married in two weeks. Yeah, it's right around the corner. It's oh, crunch I time. Oh, it is crunch it time. It's crunch time, man. Woo! Yeah. It's a good topic. Scared. Scared. And excited. Love you, babe. <laughs> um, so, <laughs> let's talk about been the most difficult aspects of managing your finances in your relationship so for the listeners just you guys give you guys a little quick background on sergio matt and myself uh as sergio said i'm getting married uh, i've got a wonderful fiance serge has been married for quite some time almost eight uh, years yeah he's got two beautiful kids a wife that stays at home and Matt has a fiance that works and he works obviously and they have a two year old. Yeah, so, just about two. Yeah. So we all come in from a little bit different backgrounds, so it should be interesting. But uh we'll start with Sergio. You know, the man that's been married the longest. Give us your wisdom, my friend, of yeah. you know, what you've done to keep your marriage and finances on track and yeah. what's been the most difficult part about it. Yeah, I'd say luckily for us, finances have never been an issue. And I think that's like, we have other issues. I hope you're not listening to this, babe. But finances <laughs> has never been one. Uh, main- if we only have two co-hosts uh, <laughs> next episode, we know why. <laughs> no, no, but like specifically, so we've, we kind of grew up together and uh, we've been married, married for a while. Luckily, like Kimberly comes from a financial background. She worked at Bank of America. And I think we've always just been on the same page in terms of like, we don't lavishly spend on like, we don't care about brand name items. We like both kind of are relatively frugal. Um, you know, I shop at the trifecta, I like to call it TJ Maxx, Marshall, Marshalls and Ross. Um, and nice. both of us are on the same page in terms of like spending. I think what has been hard though is transitioning from just being a couple to being parents. Cause then you have to like really switch the priorities. Cause you really got to, okay, can I take this trip? You know, or do I, you know, I need to pay for soccer now. I need to do this. So I think that's that, right. Cause I remember when you guys, uh, way back when, when you guys didn't have any kids, you guys were going to Vegas, oh, yeah. doing we're all these nice rain. vacations. Yeah. yeah. Living the life. Yeah. Living the life. Then kids came. Then the kids came. Uh, <laughs> but yeah, the, the other thing, the other thing here also is, uh, 
I think being organized about your bills too. And like having somebody, somebody I think has to be the go-to finance person. You can't both be trying to fight and like, for us at least, like Kimberly is, she manages our finances. She's good at it. She has a, you know, for me, I'd put it in a spreadsheet, but she had, what, what works for her is a piece of paper. She puts all of our bills every month, everything we got to pay. It's all on the bills. I see it I'm like, okay, we got this going out, this going out, this going out. And it's just right there. And in every month it's just like organized, structured. So I think that's what's worked for us. And just being on the same page, I think that's, that's helped us get through it. Awesome. Yeah. Matthew, why don't you give us a little insight into how you and your fiance have managed finances and what's been the hurdle and what's been the thing that's kept you guys going? Um, well, I think Sergio's definitely right. You got to be organized. And uh, that's what, that's one thing that we're good at. I mean, you know, me and Sloan are a great team. And like Sergio said, like, you know, him and Kim are on the same page and the same thing with me and Sloan. There's, we don't really fight about finances, even though we don't, we don't bring a bunch of money in or anything and finances are tight at times. It's not something that we really fight about. So that's, you know, that's, that's awesome. It's a huge plus. <laughs> yeah, that's, that's, yeah. That's a big one. But I mean, yeah. I think the, you know, the biggest hurdle I'd say her making more money than me. <laughs> <laughs> it's gone on for a couple years now and I don't like it. <laughs> but, I like the truth though, man. That's awesome. Yeah. It's good. You're able to No, no, but you know, she's, uh, she's, she's super organized and you know, we, we have it all. We, we know what our overhead is. We know what we can spend. We know what our limits are. And you know, we're on the same page that right now, you know, we're being frugal and we're saving and we're, we're looking forward to taking that next step and trying to buy a house and all that stuff. Actually, the, the next financial decision we're doing right now is uh, we need to get her a new car. So we're, you know, we're looking for something right now, kind of shopping. Mm-hmm. Nice. So we'll see where that takes us. One, <clears throat> the other thing I was thinking about, uh, Lee, was the other hurdle. I think what sucks about, you know, being married and like finances is I can't just go and I can't just go to Garlic City Casino or Bay 101 and play <laughs> poker all night and spend hundreds of dollars. I just, I literally, I just can't do it. And that, that sucks a little bit. Uh, the good old days. But <laughs> as a married couple to make sure, you know, we, we, we stay married, you have to be willing to like make sacrifices. Yeah. Totally when you ask about a hurdle, that's, that's what sucks is you can't just do what you want when you want. Yeah. Well, that's, so one of the big things I think, that's huge in couples making it is having that respect and honesty, right? Having the respect to go to your significant other and just say, Hey, I'm going to be spending money on this. It's a decent sum of money. Just want to let you know about it. At least you're respectful enough to ask your significant other or tell your significant other what's going through your mind. And uh, Serge and I were talking about that a little bit about this before we started uh, airing was financial infidelity, right? That is huge. Uh, I saw a stat out there that 80% of couples admit to financial infidelity, making purchases that they know they probably shouldn't have behind the significant other's back. And that is damaging to relationships. And I'll just tell you guys this. I've been doing my profession for quite some time. I have seen the divorces. And majority of them are over financial infidelity. I just had... Uh, a couple this past week and it breaks my heart, but financial fidelity. So it's just like, you're, you're saying like a big purchase. It's not, not just like one purchase of, generally, but it's, it's just like a, a histor- habit. It's like a habit. Okay. It's a habit of the people just spending money when they shouldn't, they generally have debt already and they just show no regard for their significant other. So, that, that can be very damaging to a relationship. And I've seen it. I've seen it end up in divorce multiple times. Uh, one of the challenges, I think, for my fiance and myself, my financial background has been pretty solid. Uh, don't really have any debts, have decent assets. But my fiance, she has a lot of student debt that she got a long time ago. And that's one thing that, you know, I look back on our relationship. We have an an amazing relationship. I love her to death. She's the best woman I know. She, (laughs) it's true. Uh, (laughs) She is, she is listeners, but she's awesome. Victoria, you're awesome. Yeah, she is fantastic. But 
I remember when we first started dating, it was relatively in the beginning. Uh, we both felt like we had feelings for each other. And she said, I have something I need to tell you. And you're kind of like, what is this person going to drop on me? She's like, I have student debt. And I was like, oh, okay. Well, good to know. Um, doesn't impact my decision. But the thing is, if she had not told me about that, that could have been that could have been really bad for our relationship. She was honest about it. So that's an example of how being honest can really impact your overall relationship in terms of your finances. Right. And, you know, that's the thing that I think we have that's really working for us is, you know, she tells me about purchases she makes and she's not hiding anything from me. So I think that's one thing that we have. That's a great thing that we have going for us. So the difficulty is, you know, she's someone that has student debt. I'm yeah. going to help her and we're going to work through it. But the positive is she showed me that she's honest and she respects me, you know? So, yeah, Lee, I got a question for you. Yeah, what's up? Um, so I've got some friends who are married and they take the approach of having separate accounts mm -hmm. and like not really including their significant other in my so long story short, it's getting to like trust issues, right? Yeah. I'm curious, like for you, as you, you're about to get married, what are your thoughts on like being a financial manager? Like, how are you going to approach finances in your marriage? Overall, I think you just, you got to be honest. You got to be honest with each other. There can't be any secrets. Uh, another thing that I get all the time is couples will come to me and say, I have this money but they make sure you don't tell them. And I'm just like, what you're putting me in such a freaking hard situation right here. Um, but uh, that happens all the time. Couples will be like, I got this money, but don't tell so-and-so. And I'm just like, all right, this is ridiculous. Like it, but it happens all the time. I think you just have to be honest. Yeah. You have to be honest about where your money's at and you have to be transparent. Uh, when people start hiding money, the other spouses generally figures it out at some point and it backfires on them. I couldn't hide money if I tried. <laughs> like direct deposit it just comes out <laughs> goes yeah. right into the bank and your wife's got those connections at the bank so you yeah, definitely can yeah, there's, <laughs> it's not gonna work. yeah but I, I think it all comes down to just being honest and respectful right and always taking your significant other into account that'll take you really far uh, so going back into the topic of being respectful uh, you have to you can't say things like, oh, you don't make enough money, right? I think that a lot of uh, couples, they look down on the other one for not making as much. And, you know, you have to look at this like you're a team, right? So in the relationships that I've seen that haven't worked out, I see that there's kind of that you don't make the money I make. And, you know, there's sometimes those people – uh, you know, maybe they don't make the same money, but they might be other making other financial decisions that aren't smart. But you, you have to have the attitude that you guys are a team. That we're gonna yeah. make this together. Like, hey, yeah. you know, like Sergio, like Sergio, you, you work, you're the, you're the working man, but you can't. Uh, if, if you told that to Kim, what would happen? What would well, happen? Would you be breathing? No, I mean, so that's the thing. Sometimes we she get in arguments. Stab and, you like, in the heart. It's I know it, Kim. She might. She, she might rightfully so because she, she works hard at taking care of the kids and yeah. she she does a lot of other things outside of just yeah i mean she know, takes care of the paycheck. house like everything so i i'd actually argue that the work like shout out to stay-at-home moms the the work that they do is just as valuable as the work that i do even exactly. though you know it's like it's harder in some cases because she's 24 7 but yeah to your point dude like it it causes problems because there's, there's some days where i want to just come home go to sleep Hey, I worked all day, but it's the same thing. I think it's like respect, right? Like you said. Yeah. Yeah. And then the other th part about being respectful, I think where I see a lot of couples go awry is they, you know, maybe it starts with financial fidelity, but they want to start seeing every single purchase their spouse makes. Some, some couples are just wired that way. Like, what have you been spending money on? Show me your bank statements. And I'll just tell you right off the bat, that is not healthy, right? You have to be able to have... Uh, you know, trust in your significant other that they're just not, you know, blowing through money all crazy. Now, it's a different story. I've seen the irresponsible people that are always, you know, at the outlets spending money like water and, you know, racking up their uh, their debt for their significant other. That That's not okay. 
But, you know, if that's not an issue, you should be able to give that trust and respect to your significant other to, you know, if it's your wife, she wants to go buy some jewelry, some shirts and not tell you about it or, you know, that's fine, right? Those are just little things. So I think that there's there's a line, right? There's a fine line and you can, you know, ask about big purchases, obviously, but yeah. I think that it's like having that trust in your significant other to buy things on their own accord and you don't have to worry about it, right? So for all couples, I recommend that you have discretionary money, right? Approximately of all the money you bring home, you should have 30% allocated to discretionary expenses. What does that mean? Just fun, th- fun. Your fun <laughs> money, right? So like, you know, Sergio wants to go, you know, drop a little money at Bay okay, 101, yeah, yeah. right? Matt wants some new kickboxing gloves or some, you know, uh, some new fight shorts. You know, that, those are things that are little that, you know, sh- you should be able to do yeah. those sort of things. Or if your wife wants to, you know, spend money on some decor for the home, those those, those things shouldn't be scrutinized, right? No, but, it's the big purchases, man. Like if you're spending hundreds and hundreds or thousands of dollars, like you, let the person know. Yeah. Let the person know. Yeah. But what, what, if, what if somebody can't, you know, 30% is kind of a lot of your know, income for some household, especially if only one person is working. Mm-hmm. I mean, what do, what do you suggest is a, you know, maybe a healthier version for the average person? I think that is a good number. So it's a 50, 30, 20 rule. So one of the things that we want you guys to learn today is about the 50, 30, 20, right? It's a common budgeting finance rule. It says 50% of the money you bring home goes to your essential, essential expenses. So things like gas, things like insurance, things like uh, putting a roof over your head, right? Yeah. 30% needs to go to the discretionary things like, you know, going into the movie theaters or going to the Warriors game, right? And then 20% you should always save, right? Build up your emergency fund. Then once you get to that point, invest that money, right? And those numbers are different for everyone, right? But those are just general rules of thumb, right? You should, uh, obviously I have so people in retirement, they've already made it, you know, they don't need to save as much. But for the average folk, that's a good rule. So just to, just to clarify, you want you want thirty percent to go to discretionary and twenty percent to go to savings, savings. So, and investing. So half your paycheck is kind of getting set aside for extracurricular and saving things, mm-hmm. basically, and then the other fifty percent is essentials, rent, yes. gas, food, you know, things of that nature. Yeah. So yeah. if you're like you know even a, even if you're a couple or if you're just on your own, that's a good rule to put in place. If you want to do a quick financial checkup and say, hey, am I doing all the right things? Break it down, you know, break down those numbers, add it all up and just see if you're living within those bounds. If you are, you're doing a good job. If you're, if you're not, you got to reevaluate things, right? I am not. <laughs> yeah, but I was going to say, track, I, man. I think it depends on the situation. I think it's, I don't know how realistic it is if to ask somebody to save 20% of their paycheck, if like literally rent in Silicon Valley is ridiculous, right? So like, it really depends on your situation. And I think... If you can save something, save something. Yeah, and I think there's a lot of factors that go into play. I think people are thinking like, well, as I get more successful, I'm going to make more money, you know, and all those things come into play, right? Like I know for you, Serge, you've been doing great for yourself at all these tech companies and you make a pretty good salary. But for the average individual, maybe they don't have that same opportunity, right? Maybe they're not going to keep progressing and all that. And you should you know, try to save around 20%. That's all that from all the stats I've seen, like you want to be saving that. That's how you get on track. But how do they save if, sorry to go back and forth. (laughs) How do they save? Let's say rent is like 2000 a month. They only bring home 3000. And that's where you have to get, you look yourself in the mirror and you have to say, I got to downsize. And it's not an easy conversation to have. You have to sacrifice, you know, where you live. Let's fight them on this, Matt. You (laughs) got to, you got to, you got to, you got to, you have to downsize. Dream crusher. But what's, what's downsizing from the, you know, 2000s kind of the bottom of the market, right? Well, you know, there's, there's families out there or there's individuals that only pay like 700, 800 in San Jose for rent. That's still high, right? Can you show me these places? Where? (laughs) 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 Are you talking for some? You probably have a lot of roommates (laughs) and stuff like that, but a bedroom in New San Jose. You have to, you have to be able to downsize, right? There's people want to say like, oh well, you know, it's so expensive to live here. Yeah, it is, and that's why people need to eventually say, well, 
if I can't make the numbers work, I got to move out of here. Or, uh, you know, I think another thing. I want to live in Los Gatos. I want to live in a mansion in Los Gatos, but I can't do that. So, you know, it's just people have to be realistic, right? I have so many clients right now that are moving out of state because they've realized, like, they just can't do it. Yeah, numbers aren't that's working fair. out. You, that's why you see a record number of people moving to Sacramento, record number of people going to Idaho and, you know, Seattle, all these places away from the Bay Area so they can get a break. Yeah, on I mean, I, I live 60 miles from where I work because I can't afford to live in Menlo Park. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah. So it's tough. But in people, you know, I hear that all the time. Like, well, I live in the Bay Area. Well, maybe you shouldn't, you know. That's the sad. I don't want to be the dream crusher that I've been known to be on the show, but that's the reality. You're building a reputation, yeah. I know. I have been. (laughs) Some people have been calling me that too, and I'm like, oh, gosh. I was, yeah, I was more, I was just thinking, like, I really want to get tactical and realistic with some of the folks that might not immediately be able to save 20% of their paycheck. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Like, wouldn't you say as a financial advisor, if they can save, so just think about saving, right? Consistency, like, right? Because I remember you even told me that when I was coming yeah. up. Like, just start saving something. That's okay. Yes, that if saving something is better than not doing anything at all. Yeah. Yes, I a hundred percent support that. But ideally, if you're you're on a, you want to keep improving, right? That's what you need to aim for. That fifty, thirty, twenty is a really good thing to aim for. And I'll tell you what: if you haven't done anything, and you're in your forties. You think saving 20% is high? No, no, no. It's much higher than that, right? So these are just everyone's numbers different, right? So in order to give you the exact number, I have to sit down with people and figure out exactly what they are doing on paper. But these are just general rules of thumb. And yes, people don't like to hear that they should be saving 20%, but that's the sad truth. You need that. You need to save that so you can eventually retire, eventually buy a house, those are the numbers that you need to be doing. Yeah, I think like I was saying, like just consistency. It just yeah. even if you can only do five percent this month, or you know three percent, as yeah. long as you're putting something away, it's better than nothing. And maybe it's less uh, discretionary. I mean, if because then because I think you said like thirty percent discretionary. Mm-hmm. So maybe for those folks, it's like less fun, but you're set. You're able to save more. Yeah. Maybe you don't take that trip, go exactly. to that movie, go to that dinner. Yeah, and so you gotta think about it like that yeah. way. Yeah, you can cut out a lot of those things and. No, I know a lot of people that they don't they don't take a lot of trips. So thirty percent discretionary is pretty high for that, right? Uh, Another thing that you got to look at when you're trying to get ahead is the roadblocks, right? So with couples, I always try to tell them, you know, figure out what that roadblock is, right? Generally, I ask them, so what have you tried, right? And then they'll say, I tried this and I tried that, and then I said, then you got to ask, well, what worked and what didn't work. And generally, you'll find out there's a pattern of the things that didn't work, and they keep doing over and over again, right? Be honest about what your roadblock is. So as a couple, you guys got to figure that out, you know. Uh, For Victoria and myself, we've already, you know, we already know what that is. But for every couple, it's going to be different. For us, it was credit cards coming up. Yeah. Credit card debt. You and a lot of other people. Like a bunch of little credit cards. Mm Mm-hmm. Just picking it away. So, yeah, that's... I think that's that's a common theme. Yeah. What about you, Maddie? Um, disputes, Costco bills. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know about you guys, but we drop quite a bit of money at Costco. Oh God, dude! I literally when uh, we dangerous. go to Costco, I have to walk away when we get to the cash register, and I just leave. Yeah, it's just like don't look. <laughs> I don't even. So I don't know, but I know it's hundreds of dollars every time we go to Costco. Oh yeah, I mean easily four hundred every yeah, time. Yeah, a couple it's hundred. Crazy. It's yeah. like why? <laughs> Do I really need this giant thing of cheeses? <laughs> Uh, the other thing that couples need to do is you should always have written goals, right? So every couple, you know, we all have things in our mind that like we're saving for say, Oh, we're saving for that car. We're saving for that new house. It's really important to put it to paper with timelines, right? Because if you don't put it on paper and you don't have timelines, they're just thoughts, right? They're just lofty thoughts and there's no strategy behind it. You have to have it written down and you have to go back and look at that together, what the goals are, you know, on a regular basis. So, you know, every month, you know, sit down with your significant other and be like, all right, this is what we're trying to achieve. Like, what have we done so far? Like, what does the budget look like? And then that's the other thing. Budgeting is huge, right? And I'll tell you this. I have not met a couple that off the bat liked budgeting, 
because it's you know it's painful it's kind of like you know the skeletons come out of the closet you get to see where you messed up so people just rather not look <laughs> people say i just don't want to see it i know it's bad so i don't look and that doesn't make any sense at all you have to be honest with yourself and look at your spending history so you know if you're trying to move ahead in life and try to get your finances on track make sure that you're actively budgeting sitting down over coffee on a beautiful Sunday morning and making sure you guys are on track. Dude. Yeah. Plus a hundred thousand. That's, that's a good point, man. Like it's tough. I think it's tough sometimes, but for, for us, like I said, it's, it's worked out cause we're both relatively frugal mm-hmm. in terms of budgeting. Uh, when I met Kimberly, she spent a lot. It was funny when I first met her, she's, we live in Gilroy and there's outlets. She's always at the outlets spending. And I think over time she got better at that. And I think that actually improved our relationship once we both got on the same page in terms of like spending habits. All right. So this has been a great discussion. So now we're going to go on to our topic with Matt. Uh, partitions, Matt, please yeah, explain. Yeah. We're going to be talking about the right to partition and kind of like this discussion is really going to be focused on, you know, how to protect yourself when co-owning a property with someone that you're not married to. And, uh, you know, because if you are married to them, it's be handled in family court, different world, different rules. But um, <clears throat> kind of let's so let's let's go what, to what does partition mean, because most people hear that word. They don't really know what it means. And kind of in plain English, that that means that when, you know, one or more or two, two people or more, you know, co-own a property together, one of those people decides they want to sell the house. The others don't. They can force that sale. So. So what about if they only own like 10 percent? doesn't matter they can own one percent and still do it wow wait what about if it's half a percent (laughs) i don't know if there's any (laughs) case law to support it but i'm sure you can make the argument (laughs) this is just this is just a law yeah this this is some that passed somehow oh no it's 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 actually statutory it's a statute out there i I don't know it off the top of my head but um it uh you know it's called an absolute right and when, when you're talking into a legal context an absolute right is a very serious thing I mean, you're not going to mess with it. And the only way to get around it is, you know, some kind of written contract, you know, waiving it or qualifying it in some way. And so, you know, you might ask, you know, why why would somebody want to partition a property? And, you know, there's really a lot of reasons. And here, I'll give a little example. Uh, We'll we'll use Lee and Sergio here. So suppose that they decide to invest together, Lee and Sergio. They buy a property. Are we a couple? Yeah. (laughs) Yeah, well, well, actually, no, because... You'll see later in the story why that doesn't work out that way. Darn. You wish. <laughs> maybe next Maybe next example, yeah. I'd be a lucky man. <laughs> I think there'd be a lot of arguing about the finances. <laughs> so um, so you guys buy a 50-50, and out. you guys decide to rent it out, and the rent covers the mortgage. You guys get a little income, but you know the main thing is you got no money has to really be put into it. The property self-sustains. The investment's paying itself off and whatnot. You know, you guys have tenants... Five years later, those tenants want to move out and, you know, they leave the house in ruins. You guys got to put some money into it, fixing it up. And then, you know, you guys fix it up so nice. Lee goes, hey, you know, I want to move in here with Victoria and my dog Jackson. And you'd be uh, so lucky to have Jackson at that Jackson. Just saying. <laughs> Just keep him outside. Yeah. Kick you outside. <laughs> now, I remember before Lee got a dog. He was one of those like no dogs in the house kind right. of people. <laughs> right. And now you go over to his house. He's got bow ties on him and yeah. sweaters. Yeah, the dog's like dog. bouncing off the couch. Slippers For on. For you listeners, I have the <laughs> cutest dog in the world. Send me pictures of yours. Mine's cuter. Yeah, All right, a, continue. Designer dog, right? Golden doodle. Yeah. <laughs> All right. So anyway, when Lee moves in, he only wants to pay the mortgage. And he expects Sergio to help pay the taxes and the insurance. Sergio's like, you know, hell no. I, you know, I need that rental income. You know, I don't want this house to go from positive cash flow to me having to put money into it. So, you know, they're they can't reach an agreement, Lee and Sergio, and you know, Lee can't buy Sergio out. His his money's tied up in other investments. And, you know, Sergio really has no other option but to sell the property. Lee doesn't want to sell it. So Sergio brings a partition action, goes to the court, asks the court to, you know, force the sale. And they're under this set of facts. There's nothing that Lee can really do about it if he can't buy him out. And he's just got to go with the flow and uh, that property. So get wait, sold. what if there's say like five owners, Sergio's one of five. 
and he can he still bring this partition? Oh yeah, yeah. Even and, if he's like you know one percent owner. Yeah, and well, and, and the thing is, is that the other owners can do something where they can try to buy him out. Mm. But if they can't buy, if nobody can buy anybody out, then you're gonna the, the house is gonna get sold. In this scenario, I want to sell because Lee wants to move in, and my rental income's going away. And my rental, like, so in this scenario, the reason why I want to sell is because Lee wants to move in, and uh, my oh, no, you rental just, you income, just, yeah, you guys are just going dis- away. You guys are basically just having a disagreement about who should have to pay for the property since Lee's occupying it, he's living there, he's using it, but he wants you to help pay for his ah. overhead. And he, yeah, what, that's not gonna happen. Yeah, <laughs> See, you'd be financing a Victoria and Jackson living their best life. That's a no go, right? Okay, so then that puts me. So I do the partition, partition, and I'm forcing Lee to sell. Exactly. You go to the court and the ask property. the court to force the sale of the property. And then the court's going to, you know, I mean, you guys can streamline it and agree. And then, you know, the court can apport, uh, appoint what's called a referee. And a partition referee is a person you pay a lot of money to. <laughs> and they can either, sometimes they're a broker, sometimes they're another, usually they're another lawyer. And they're going to go and they're going to control the whole process and they're going to get a if they're not a broker, they'll get a broker. They'll list the property. All the proceeds come in, and then they'd split it between you 50-50. And then the, the little little cool part about that <laughs> for Sergio is that since he's the one bringing the partition action, he can ask Lee to pay his attorney's fees back. Wow. Cause his, That's his, how Matt gets paid. <laughs> yeah. No. Yeah, no, well, partition cases, you don't want to take them on a contingency. Some lawyers do because, you know, you're you're almost, like, guaranteed a payout from the sale of the property. But it's, you know, it's just you, you want to get paid hourly. <laughs> you don't want to go down that route. So who usually wins? Uh, like, who typically wins these these scenarios? Well, it just all depends on the fact pattern. I mean, we'll, we'll, I'll, I'll get into a little bit of the, the Harry, the, my story with Harry Met Sally, and we can kind of talk about what defenses can be raised to this. But, you know, like I said, it's an absolute right, and it's – really hard to mess with yeah so for matt so for uh partitions what are some other examples of a you know a type of partition partition that someone might bring well you know there's there's lots of disputes that lead to somebody wanting to bring a partition i mean like like the example i just gave with you and lee you know somebody wants to live in the property the other one wants to maybe live in it the other one doesn't want to pay for it you know basically a disagreement on finances (laughs) and uh you know there's you know if say one person is managing the property and the one, you know, handling the tenants and all that stuff, do they get paid a fee? How is the rental income distributed between the two people that own it or however many, um, you know, like I talked about what if one person just wants to sell and wants out, the others don't, um, you know, there's also ones that I've gotten into some really messy ones where one person will take a loan out on the property and encumber it and, you know, not pay that loan. And then, you know, foreclosure issues and things like that. You know, those, those things can get kind of messy and that can cause somebody to want out. And, uh, you know, and then, then uh, you know, a lot of times too, you know, you get in these, you know, most of the partition actions I've dealt with are family stuff. You know, father, son, mother, daughter, brother, sister. I've, I, I've dealt with, a, you know, a few that are boyfriend, girlfriend. I mean, they're, uh, you know, they, they can get, and, and that's the thing is when anything's dealing with, with family it's, yeah it's always emotionally charged sounds like drama yeah, yeah. It, it, it gets messy it's it gets terrible. horrible and and you know just and, and as the attorney dealing with it too you feel it you know what i mean you feel the drama you feel the emotional stress from it and, and you know it's, it's not fun for us it's, either. it's clear there's a lot of risk when you're co-owning property with multiple people oh, that, yeah. but that aren't like your wife or even maybe even well, you partner, look at family like, members you know yeah, what I mean? it's members. like you think so many people are like come to us after the fact and they're like oh well, I, you know i thought i could trust them that's my brother you yeah. know what i mean or oh, i thought that, that's my best friend i thought i could trust them and it's like yeah <laughs> you couldn't they just cost you a hundred thousand dollars <laughs> yeah it's, it's 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 sickening sometimes just to see how these things work out and people you know, fighting things that they shouldn't fight on principle like, and emotion. Yeah. And, and when money's involved, man, it's yeah, it tears families apart. Yeah, it's it's tough. So yeah, I mean, the I, I guess I should go over the before I get into the Harry Met Sally story. I think I should go over kind of how, how do you protect yourself from a partition? You know, if you're co-owning it with property, and I mean that's like I said, you you can waive the right, and when you're waiving something, it means that you're just basically completely giving it up. You're saying, hey, I will not bring a partition action. So if you, you basically lose your right to do that. And is there a certain amount of time that has to go by? 
No, no. It's it, well, Can you do it at any point? So say they got into the transaction two years ago. Could they still waive that right? Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. You, you can you can do almost anything by contract <laughs> if you want to. I mean, with you know certain limitations. But yeah, yeah, definitely, you can definitely still waive it later on down the, fa- down the line. But I mean, like, you know, I mean, that, that's where you come in. You see a lawyer. You're like, hey, I want to buy this property with somebody. And, you know, here's what our concerns are. And you basically can adapt it to that. I mean, one example of like, you know, I said you could waive it. You can also qualify it. And by, you can do that by giving somebody the right of first refusal. So like in the Lee and Sergio example, that you guys could have had an agreement between each other that said, hey, before you bring this partition, you have to give me the right to buy it out first, which, you know, in this case, it wouldn't have worked because Lee wasn't able to. But you can, you know, you don't have to give somebody the, you know, the opportunity to buy you out. If, if it's heated and it's emotional and you guys aren't talking or it's war, you can just go file that partition action. So, you know, I mean, they, they, there's no rule that says that you have to give them the chance to buy it out. It's just a cleaner way to do it, you know, oh. I mean, and avoid mm-hmm. litigation because, you, you know, you don't want to get attorneys involved. And so that, that would be like a part of the contract before Lee and I actually buy the house. Yeah, yeah. You guys could go to an attorney and they could structure a buyout between you guys and, and not have to go to litigation and, you know, bring a partition action against the house. How much are we looking at in legal fees? <laughs> well, it all depends on the situation, but it's a lot cheaper to draw up a buyout contract between two people than it is to litigate a partition action. I mean, you'll say, I mean, you could spend, you know, easily, you know, five grand, 10 grand having that contract drawn out, depending on how much negotiating goes on, as opposed to, you know, close to $100,000 to see a partition action all the way through, possibly more than 100000 depending on how much fighting's going on. So, you know, I mean, it's, it's, it's worth it. And the thing is, is if you're, you know, you're buying out, you're refinancing usually, or at least one person is, or maybe they have the capital on hand. So they have the money to pay an attorney to make sure it's done right. Yeah. So actually, Lee, this question's for you. I mean, as a wealth manager, like, is it, is it a recommendation on your end that to, to co-own property with somebody? That's what I would defer to Matt. Okay. What do you think, Matt? Like, well, do you think it's a, like a, a good idea to co-own property, it it seems like there's so much risk involved. No, like co-own there property with, with multiple people. Yeah, no, there definitely is. But I mean, the thing is, is like we gotta face it in the Bay Area, you almost have to co-own <laughs> with some people. You know, what I mean, just the, given the prices, yeah, it just makes more sense. I mean, um, and that that's usually why family members band together to to purchase property. So I, I mean, I wouldn't want to deter people from co-owning property with other people. I think you still should. But I think you just got to be aware of your rights and be aware of the pitfalls that can happen when you co-own property and, you know, just be ready for it. And just, and you know, just like I said, most of these things happen between family, you know, just because your family, just because your best friends, just because it's your girlfriend, wi- or you can't say wife because family law would be different. But, you know, it. no matter how much trust you have in the person, you know, you never know what can happen. Yeah, I feel like it's... Just like what Matt said, it's a reality of the Bay Area. So, because sometimes that's how people have to buy the property; they have to co-own it because they don't have the finances to do it on their own. Yeah. But if you're getting more people involved, one other owner, that's twice as many potential problems. You know, so I, I, an ideal world, personally, I wouldn't want to do that. But like Matt said, that might be the only way that you can. Well, and just, you should property. just go see an attorney and just have them advise you as, of your rights, you know, and that, that's what I mean, that's what we're here for. <laughs> yeah. And so, yeah, let's uh, let's uh, move on to our when Harry met Sally story. And so, um, you know, it's it's kind of today we're doing a little thing where, you know, we're talking about our financial fail and we're kind of intertwining it with the subject matter of a part of the partition, or, you know, bringing a partition action. And uh, the kind of the example I'm going to give with Harry Met Sally is <laughs> actually really similar to a case I handled in the past. And just, you know, obviously some names and names little have been facts changed. Changed. <laughs> <laughs> But um, yeah, it's very, very, uh, very, very similar. And so, you know, and, and then, you know, before I let me preface it this way, before I get into this story, you know, to some people, this may seem like a very dumb move, but or a very obvious, stupid mistake. But, you know, <laughs> you'd be surprised at how often situations like this come to us. So, um, you know, pe- people do dumb things, especially when they're in love. No, that's true. <laughs> so, <clears throat> so let's, uh, let's meet Harry. All right. Harry, he's a Bay Area tech guy, similar to Sergio, but he's a, he's a software engineer. 
He works at makes Google. way more money than me. Yeah, he makes well over six <laughs> figures since he graduated college five years ago. So he's been doing well for a while. And uh, you know, after his first year working at Google, you know, he was he was uh, he was really smart, and he he was one of the lucky people who got to buy a house in the San Jose in the Bay Area, and uh, he bought it for pretty cheap. And uh, you know, we're, we're saying back in 2012 when it was a good time to buy, and you know, uh, it's definitely appreciated since then. And uh, you know, after work one day, he was hanging out at a San Pedro Square and having drinks with some friends, and he he ran into Sally, who uh, she's an Instagram model and blogger. Give it all to her, Harry. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, run so, away, Harry. Run. Run away. So naturally, you know, Harry fell in love, and they began their relationship. They had a couple kids, and but you know what? They never got married. They never followed through with the marriage. And so one day, you know, working at Google, Harry was talking to a coworker, and his coworker said, hey, you need, you need to put Sally on the title to your property because what if something happens to you? Then it's going to, you know, then what's, you know, who – Who's it going to go to? What's going to happen? You want to ensure your kid's safety for the future. And he's like, that's what I did. You know, that's the right move. And Harry, uh, you know, without consulting an attorney, decided, hey, that is a good move and transferred the property to Sally. They held title 50-50, kind of similar to how Lee and Sergio held it. And as joint tenants, which means that they are joint and equal owners. And, uh, you know, the thing here that I think is an important for everybody to understand is Sally has never contributed to the property. She's never paid for anything, never paid for the mortgage, never paid the taxes, never paid for any improvements, nothing. She's just, you know, lived there since, you know, whatever date she moved in when they were dating. And, uh, you know, two years later after he did that, Harry and Sally broke up. Sally ended up cheating on Harry and leaving him for a photographer in hopes of reinvigorating uh, her Instagram modeling career. And uh, Sally, you know, Sally and Harry went to divorce court, family court, you know, and she took them to the cleaners for child support. And uh, now that her and her photographer boyfriend are living their best life (laughs) off of Harry's child support checks, uh, they decide they need more money. And Sally goes and consults with her family law attorney trying to see if she can squeeze any more out of Harry for uh, child support. And her attorney goes, oh, wow, you know, you're you're on you're a joint tenant to the property. Well, let me introduce you to my real estate attorney friend. And uh, next thing you know, Sally's bringing a partition action. And she's got Harry in court and saying that, she, you know, she's entitled that she's entitled to force the sale of the property and half the proceeds. So the result here is Harry's screwed. And <laughs> Sally Wait. didn't put in anything. She didn't put in anything. And so, you know, the thing is, it's... It, it's like all hope is not a loss for Harry. He has arguments and he could definitely fight it and still win, but it is going to be an uphill battle. Yeah. He is going to have to litigate this. And and while he's litigating this, he has to have over his head that he might have to pay her attorney's fees if he loses. So he could spend over a hundred thousand dollars fighting this, eventually lose it. And then she's going to bring a motion after the fact, and he's going to have to pay her, her attorney's fees. So he'll be out his a hundred thousand plus he'll have to sell the property. And then he's going to owe, you know, 100000 plus to her attorney. Wow. Devastating. Is this is this like a California thing? Is this a... No, no. I mean, it, the, the statue is a California-specific okay. statue, but, I mean, the right to partition does exist in okay. other states, too. Yeah, definitely. And then in this scenario, Matt, were you actually representing... Were you the real estate attorney for... I was defending Harry. Okay. You were <laughs> defending Harry. Okay. I'm, I'm okay with you now. I'm okay with you now. It was, was Harry normal? I mean, was he, uh, yeah, no, he was, he wasn't, yeah, he wasn't that. He was just, just a normal guy. Huh? Yeah. He's just a normal he's made guy. made a bad and, decision. And he just, you know, he just didn't think it through, thought he was in love and trusted her, thought they were going to get married. You know, there was some cool stuff that I won't get too into it, but that, you know, there's some statutes that exist that say when you give a, because the, the whole the whole thing here is Harry's going to be arguing that hey, I didn't give her a gift because she didn't pay him for it. Mm-hmm. So she her her argument is like, hey, he gifted that to me. I'm the mother mm-hmm. of his child. He gave me a gift, mm-hmm. and that he's going to spend his whole time battling whether or not that was a gift. And so there there's this statue that exists. I don't remember what it was, um, but it came up in our research. And when you give a gift in contemplation of marriage. If the marriage doesn't work out and it's ended, I forget how it works. If it's ended by the one that, you know, didn't give the gift, then that gift can be given back. 
it, it needs to be or, you know supposed to be given back and it, i don't remember the exact specifics of it but it was really interesting stuff and i had never <laughs> seen it before so we tried to advance that argument that it was a gift in contemplation of marriage but that wasn't really working out too well wow so yeah so it's just a, you know it's an uphill battle and you know it just you know a lot of attorney's fees were spent and at the end of the day it usually results in some kind of settlement where both sides are unhappy you know before it actually ends up going all the way to the trial you know and the, whether the sale is going to be forced or not matt thank you for all that information that's is fantastic insight i think all of us including our listeners have uh, a new perspective on this and it was really interesting to hear about that thank you yeah no i think that you know the best advice and just the takeaway from it is just like you know if you're going to co-own property with somebody go go see an attorney it's, it's not that expensive just to, to to hear about what rights you may or may not have and just to see what the landscape of that might look like and uh yeah i, I just can't urge that enough because the, the the repercussions of not can be devastating yeah 100 percent. yeah all right so that is our episode for today we'll give you a sneak peek into our next episode so on our next episode sergio our career advisor he's going to be talking about what it's like to work at the silicon valley tech giants Serge, where have you worked at? Uh, 7-Eleven. Brush off your shoulders while you tell us. 7-Eleven. Uh, <laughs> Rotten Robbie. Um, no, so uh, LinkedIn, Google, Amazon, and now Facebook. I probably won't touch on Facebook much because I want to keep my job. But uh, yeah, I can give you guys a glimpse of what it's like working at some of the best companies in the world. Yeah, so people want to hear about that. We get a lot of people saying like, oh, I want to hear Sergio talk about it. So yeah, he's going to give you a little bit of insight on the pros, the cons, and I'll be talking about company retirement plans. What sort of retirement plans do companies offer their employees? I'll talk about how you can benefit for them, how you need to utilize them, and things you need to be aware of. Thank you so much for listening to our show. If you haven't yet, please subscribe to us, give us a review, uh, like us on Facebook. We appreciate all the love and support that we've been getting. So long from the Free Retiree Show.